0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 129th episode of The Atlas Society Asks, live from New York. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends call me JAG. I am the CEO of The Atlas Society. We are the leading nonprofit organization introducing young people to the ideas of Ayn Rand in fun, creative ways, like our animated videos and graphic novels. Today, we are joined by my dear friend, returning guest, Grover Norquist. I'm about to introduce him, but first want to remind all of you who are joining us, whether it's on Zoom, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or YouTube, please go ahead, get started. Use the comment section to type in your questions. We've got 45 minutes today, so we'll get to as many of them as we can now uh when it comes to talking about politics and of course the most recent midterm elections no one is better than grover norquist he lives and works it every single day he is the founder and president of americans for tax reform and by the way our first ever guest on the atlas society asks back in 2020 his many books include uh, a u-turn on the road to serfdom and the irs before it ends us and my favorite leave us alone getting the government uh hands off our money our guns and our lives so uh
1: welcome back rover good to be with you thank you very much
0: yeah and good to see you again we uh, caught up at the Atlas society's gala in Malibu just a few weeks ago. So that was fun. Uh, Well, it's not so much fun, at at least uh, for me, because uh, November 8th was my birthday. Um, And that was the midterm uh, election results, maybe because uh, expectations were out of whack. So my first question to you is, were you as surprised as many of us by the results?
1: Well, I was surprised that the Republicans didn't gain another 10 or 20 House seats. Uh, and that they didn't get one, two, or three more Senate seats. When you looked at the polling, it suggested Republicans were 5% ahead of the Democrats uh, in terms of whether people are going to vote Republican or Democrat. Normally, that would have suggested 25, 30 additional House seats and good stuff in the Senate. What was interesting is the poll were wrong. The polls were correct. The Republicans got 5% more of the vote than Democrats did. It was a red wave for purposes of votes. Popular votes, yeah. But what it didn't do is translate into as many House seats as it would have under the previous redistricting. So what the Democrats have been very active doing at the House side um, is redistricting California to limit the number of Republicans way beyond the percentage of the vote. Illinois, very aggressive redistricting, uh, taking away a bunch of seats that would otherwise been Republican. New York had such an aggressive redistricting that even the, the very left of center Supreme Court in New York struck it down and came up with something more reasonable. It still was uh, strict compared to other states, uh, Ditto, Connecticut, Ditto, uh, New Jersey. So um, gerrymandering, redistricting limited the Republican bounce uh, or wave, uh, even though they had certainly more votes. Uh, on the Senate side, there you don't have redistricting or gerrymandering, or if they did gerrymandering, it was the guys who created the original states, you know, 200, 100 years ago. Um, and I don't think that uh, Wyoming's lines were drawn to, to maximize Republican or Democrat uh, votes. Although North and South Dakota did give you two Republican states, which is perhaps what they had in mind. Um, And they hurried California into statehood because it was a free state, a Republican uh, state. That said, losing um, at Nevada and in the Senate races in Nevada, in New Hampshire, in Pennsylvania, and in Arizona, those four, all of which could have been Republican wins. uh, But the candidates that were run were flawed. They had little experience. They did not, in many cases, did not run ever before, and two, they were tied to Trump in a way that helped them win the primary, but then uh, scared away independent voters and Democrats who might have cheerfully voted because of taxes, because of energy costs, because of inflation, because of crime, Uh, and yet some people pulled back from voting for for these Senate candidates. They in many cases, elected governors, overwhelming governor win, 20 points in Ohio. But the candidate who'd never run before uh, was ran 13 points behind him, still won, but he had to be carried across the finish line. In New Hampshire, overwhelming victory for the Republican Governor Sununu, governed well, cut taxes, uh, limited spending. But General Bulldog, uh, he got crushed. Um, So people made a distinction between two R's. They said, I want that governor. And then they said, the other guy's only criteria was Bush and Trump had said something nice about him. He hadn't been in office before. He didn't have a record um, and they weren't necessarily particularly articulated in the case of Bulldog. He didn't take any advice from anybody on how to run a campaign uh, partly because he'd never done it before. So there, there were flawed, I mean, not flawed people, but flawed candidates. I would be mm-hmm. a flawed. I've never done it before. You know, do not have me run for the Senate next week. Um, I would not do it well. Uh, and similarly, you know, one guy had been a businessman, very smart in Arizona, but he'd never run for office before, uh, and he wouldn't even know how to pick consultants, sorts of things. So th- the challenges were different between governors, senators, where you don't have redistricting. And the House, where you have redistricting, which limited the wave from turning into more House seats.
0: So, I mean, while Republicans obviously have to be disappointed that uh, voters are not voting straight party line um, on all of the seats on a ticket, but I mean, in a way, it's a little bit encouraging and to and, vis-a-vis the fact that voters are being more selective and they are picking and choosing and they are not just voting, voting straight party line.
1: Yeah, it, I think we will see more party line voting in general as the party uh, actually be- means something. A uh, hundred years ago, heck even 50 years ago, if somebody said they were Democrat, you were pretty sure they were born south of the Mason-Line. And if they said they were Republican, they were born north of the Mason-Dixon line. They might be liberal, they might be conservative, they want lots of wars or few wars or gun control or not, uh, because the two parties didn't tell you where someone was on freedom issues. Uh, I mean, the Democrats had some things right, the Republicans had some things right, but during the Reagan's presidency, his political lifetime, you really did separate out the two parties So that one party's default position is less government, less spending, fewer regulations. They don't accomplish everything they want to all the time. Sometimes there's a Democratic president and you have a Republican Congress. You don't get to make the rules if you can't get a signature from the president. Or the other way around. Reagan was president, but he had a Democratic House for all the time he was president. That limits what he could accomplish. But what they would try and do each time, the Republicans... Move towards lower taxes, less spending, less regulation. Democrats move in the opposite direction, um, and that's pretty clear now. There's uh, of all the people who've signed the Taxpayer Protection Pledge that Americans for Tax Reform shares with presidents, congressmen, senators, state legislators, governors, uh, almost all are Republican at the national level. All Republican. All the governors that have signed most Republican governors have signed the pledge. Uh, most House and Senate Republicans have signed the pledge. What we uh, and House members, there may be some Democrats out there, they just there are a thousand of them, so I'm not quite sure everybody's party affiliation. But that is the issue that in Washington, every Republican will vote for a tax cut, every Republican will oppose a tax increase, every Democrat will vote for a tax increase and oppose tax cuts. That issue alone divides the two parties completely.
0: All right. Well, as mentioned, we have a bit of an abbreviated. Um, webinar today. So I'm going to turn in short order to your questions. So please start typing them into the comment section. But first, Grover, picking up on what you said in terms of One of the reasons why uh, the Republican bounce or wave wasn't um, as big as expected, you are specifically pointing to the influence of Trump. Do you think from the conversations that you're having, I understand that you just came back maybe yesterday from meeting with uh, Republican mayors um, up in Atlantic City. Are you hearing talk of, hey, no, we really got to shake this and return to um, to the, the kind of Reagan-Republican
1: agenda of old? Well, what is interesting is people say, look, the judges he gave us were as good or better than Reagan's because the Federalist Society, which helps vet judges, had an extra 20-plus years of learning how to vet judges. So Reagan had to guess how good some judges were going to be, appointed one person because she dated Conservative judge. That was literally the best idea of how where she, how she was going to vote and what she was for, which doesn't predict everything. Um, and uh, now we've had decades more of people knowing these judges as they come through high school, college, law school, uh, being working in the courts. Uh, when you appoint a Federalist Society judge, you're pretty sure that for liberty and for limited government and for property rights and uh, the, the, the reading of the constitution that was intended when the founding fathers created it. So Trump did a very good job on judges. He had a fine tax cut. One of the reasons economy is doing as well as it is, instead of a lot worse, is the corporate rate, which used to be the highest in the world. If you can imagine the United States having the worst tax structure in the world and how we tax corporations uh, up at 35%. Um, France was like a 25 is stupider than France is not where you want to be on tax policy. Uh, but we are worse than, than Russia, China, China was a 25. We were at 35. How do you expect to compete? Uh, and he took that down to 21, uh, with the Republican party. So Trump did very good on taxes, very good on the other, some effort on, um, r- reducing regulations. The challenge is moving forward, uh, that if you look at the, uh, not the predictions, but look backwards at this last election. Uh, congressional candidates who were endorsed by Trump, who were in competitive districts, not ones where the Republicans were obviously going to win or obviously going to mm-hmm. lose, but where it was competitive, where it was within 15 points, the R's and the D's in a district, the ones that Trump endorsed did were 5% lower than the average Republican vote. So they got fewer votes than the average Republican. And the ones that he didn't, uh, endorse uh, got 2%, 2% better. So mm-hmm. not being endorsed by Trump helped you in most cases, uh, on average. Uh, and it hurt you to be endorsed by Trump, again, in divided districts. In a district that's all blue or all red, it may be worse, worse for you in all blue, and it may be better for you in all red. But those aren't the ones that we were fighting over. We' mm-hmm. the ones, and we already have the red ones we're never getting the blue ones or unlikely to it's the ones in the middle that you, that you need to win many of and so there was for, for whatever reason um, people were uncomfortable with candidates Trump endorsed some of that you could look at and say some of those candidates won because Trump en- endorsed them, and that overrode less interesting or competent uh they didn't have a lot of yeah, uh, and so they. But they still crossed the finish line to be to win the primary, but they couldn't get through the general. So there is an argument that the you know professional Republicans make, but also average citizens polling now shows that DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is pulling ten points on average ahead of Trump in the five first uh, primary states. I New Hampshire, South Carolina, Florida is 20 points. at. He is the governor of Florida, but 20 points is a pretty big number. And those are numbers where Trump is falling and DeSantis is increasing over the last several, last two weeks. So if that trend continues, Trump may not run or he may not be the 800 pound gorilla that many people, including me, thought he was likely to be in this election cycle.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, <laughs> dipping into the pantry of questions that we have here uh, on Instagram, My Modern Gaunt asks, exit polls showed that economy and inflation were people's top concerns, but media says uh, the main issue was abortion. Any evidence that held one Uh, That one held more sway than the other. I've actually seen reports that, in fact, abortion did rank right up there with the economy uh, for for many voters um, in in those exit polls. And I know you and I have gone back and forth over decades on the abortion issue. Um, And uh, while we can agree on the the moral aspects of it, um, you know, do, do you still feel that that issue politically is a winner for Republicans?
1: Some places, yes. Some places, no. Um, In some states uh, where they could identify pro-choice on abortion supporters, young people, uh, students, and so on, a lot of effort in Michigan to drive out the pro-choice on abortion voter. And one, the Michigan governor had a lot of money, so you could make a case. You could say, you may care about crime, you may care about uh, inflation, uh, but you know what you're going to see on TV for the next two weeks is the, the abortion issue and that you can, with advertising, raise the visibility and the importance of an issue like that. You're, you're competing with everybody buying groceries each week, <laughs> you, you know, that they're constantly reminded of inflation uh, and people reading the headlines about murders and rapes and, and robberies. Uh, but with enough TV ads, you can re- take an issue that has a certain salience. And increase that. And also with social media, you can target the people most likely to move on that issue. So I, I think it'll be state by state where you'll see that um, the the governor in Ohio, who ran 20 points ahead of the Democrat he beat, um, his most prominent feature is he's pro-life. He's not particularly good on tax cuts. He's OK. But um, the big things, he's pro-life. And he pulled very well. So Ohio, it wasn't the thing that mattered. Uh, But if you look at Michigan, it kind of looks like it was. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Um, Chamey Kovic on Facebook asking, how do we reconcile both Republicans and Democrats voting to send more money overseas at the expense of the American taxpayer?
1: Uh, Well, we need to get them to stop spending money, period. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of the money we send overseas in foreign aid is it's is kind of like welfare. It's destructive. It hurts the very people you think you mean to help. If you hand free stuff out, free food to people in Africa, you don't do the farmers in Africa any good because all of a sudden you've got free stuff coming. They've got to go out and grow you know, rice and corn uh, other products uh, and sell them you know, for a profit so they can plant next year and you come in with free or free clothes, free medicine, all of a sudden local industries are damaged. People don't have jobs. Um, And governments, if you give governments money, the only reason why governments want a prosperous people, like the king would like the peasants to have more money so he could steal it, or some of it anyway. Um, But if the king is getting money from another king, he doesn't care if the peasants have any money because he's not living off and building castles or nice houses with money that he steals from the peasants. He's getting money handed to him from some American president who steals it from us and then gives it to him. Uh, so foreign aid has often done more damage than not. The Af- the Asian tigers all became tigers after people cut them off from foreign aid. Said, we don't like you, Taiwan. No money for you. South Korea, you know, and then they <laughs> that's when they started to do much better.
0: Interesting, all right. Another interesting question from Jack Stone on Facebook. What is the outlook for the Republican Party's current leadership? Many are upset with McConnell's refusal to allocate funds to certain Republican candidates.
1: Um, I've heard this. I, I urged all of the people involved from Rick Scott who oversaw the Senatorial Committee and Mitch McConnell Uh, and Club for Growth and others to make sure that it's out on the table so everybody could see how much money was raised. It's Rick Scott's job to get good candidates. And we didn't get the best candidates we could get. Now, Rick Scott didn't have all the authority to do that. He didn't get to pick them. (laughs) But um, that was sort of under his watch. And it didn't happen. You would have liked it. Um, But also, he was raising money. Mitch McConnell raised $400 million on his own in order to help Senate candidates. And sometimes if one Senate candidate goes, well, you know, if you'd given me that money instead of that guy, I could have won maybe. Um, people should raise their own money. And the senatorial committee is supposed to be in charge of it. I mean, if the gentleman in Arizona who ran Peter Thiel gave him a bunch of money and he got nominated. But then there was no there was no money there to help him in the campaign, and they spent thirty million dollars attacking him before he could raise the money to then make the case for himself. And he'd already been kneecapped. So, if you're going to help somebody win a primary, you really need to have the money there also for the general. Um, Mitch McConnell's number one issue is how many R's can I get across the finish line? You can always with 2020 hindsight say oh, looking at it, these are the three that were close and these are the three that weren't. Yeah, you didn't know that. <laughs> you know that now. You didn't know that then. And if you'd moved the money the other way, you'd have been criticized for not funding other people. Uh, there were multiple sources. Uh, Rick Scott raised money, the Senatorial Committee. McConnell raised money. Club for Growth raised money. Every candidate raised money. Friends of the candidates did. So it, it's really on the candidates to raise the money they need larger groups come in and try and help them if you're close. But as the guy in New Hampshire, didn't really get close ever. I mean, there are a couple of polls that looked really good towards the end, but I don't think those were real. Um, He was always running behind. You could throw a lot of money. The Democrats spent $90 million trying to win the South Carolina race two years ago against Lindsey Graham. He survived $90 million. I mean, South Carolina is a lovely state. It's small. <laughs> it's not a big state, small state. Um, and $90 million is a lot of money. And still, they couldn't win. So money can't get a bad candidate or a flawed campaign or the wrong worldview for that state past the finish line.
0: Interesting. Well, um, we're going to have more questions than time for you to be able to answer them. Uh, I see quite a few here that are a bit long. So uh, if you want to rephrase some of these questions uh, shorter, I'm going to, I'll dip back into them, but I definitely don't want to end this hour without talking a bit about your Ayn Rand origin story and uh, your thoughts on objectivism, favorite books, favorite characters.
1: Oh, well, um, I started reading Ayn Rand because I got tired of people telling me I was a Randian. And uh, so I said, okay, what are we talking about here? And then I was told about Ayn Rand and these books. And I saw her once uh, when I was in at school in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. And so... Uh, Not dropping to- the H-bomb. <laughs> yeah. So I went out and read all of Rand's novels uh, and then much of her other reading. And then we, it, we had Harvard and MIT had a, a Randian newspaper that came out like monthly or something. Um, so that was kind of, that was interesting as well. Um, and so I, I read the books after sort of absorbing the, the thesis and uh, I, I read We the Living first, which is the depressing one, they're the ones yeah, that- But you also read them in order. Well, I, you know, in the ones written in the United States, things are bad and they get better and we the living things are bad and they get worse and everyone dies. (laughs) Um,
0: Very tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Not not very benevolent universe premise. Mm -mm. All right. Uh, We've got another question here from Alex uh, on Instagram. How will Biden's power be limited now that the Republicans have the House back? And also, did Republicans fail in our advertising and marketing to young voters?
1: Uh, We certainly could have done better with young voters because we didn't do as well as we have in the past. So yes, we we failed to win them. Um, Do I know what we could have done different? I don't, but the answer is, hopefully there is something different because we need to do better with that age cohort. Um, in addition, uh, what was the first part of the question? Uh,
0: it is, how will Biden's power be limited uh, now that Republicans have uh,
1: the House back? Sorry, th- that was the obvious question. <laughs> That's <laughs> quick. Um, one, he can't pass a tax increase. Done. Two, he can't pass new spending increases. Done. Uh, are there some spending that he promised, but he needs to re-vote on them because you do an annual budget? Yes, and so a lot of the spending that in Biden's mind is his money is not going to be there. We took two trillion dollars off the table away from Obama uh, when we said you want it you want a two trillion dollar increase in the debt ceiling. We need to cut spending two trillion dollars if you're going to do that. Um, and so that's a very very important win there in reducing spending, stopping tax increases, stopping bad laws. Uh, but what we can't do is go back and change entitlements because that takes 60 votes. Okay, sorry. It looks like we lost Jack for a moment, so I'll step in momentarily and ask
0: another question. In the meantime, uh, this is a follow-up to Jack Stone asking, why was so much money spent on Murkowski in Alaska in a campaign between two
1: Republicans? Uh, Because the first thing that that either Republicans or Democrats do is you defend the incumbent uh, and she was the incumbent. So uh, there's always the question about, well, shouldn't you let people fight it out in the primary? Um, The way you keep everybody together, is you promise them that if you're with the team and you vote with us as we move along, that when you get in trouble someday, we will be there for you. Six years ago, she was primary. She lost the Republican nomination and she ran as a write-in, and she defeated the other guy with a write-in campaign. So she has a very strong support in Alaska. uh, And there was always the possibility that um, she could have ended up winning and been very angry when she showed up uh, if leadership had not made the effort to get her across. But again, had she, if she lost, the, the Republicans would cheerfully welcome the other person in. As McConnell did, when he had a very certain, he didn't want, he didn't want uh, Rand Paul to be the candidate. He had another candidate he picked, who was a great guy, by the way. Um, but Rand Paul won and he embraced Rand Paul and has worked with him cheerfully ever since.
0: All right, a question from Steve Cross on Zoom. Is there any future for a third party, libertarians, Tulsi Gabbard, et cetera? I'm asking because we know that you there in DC will uh, have probably mostly voted for libertarian candidates.
1: This is true, (laughs) Um, it's easy to vote for the libertarian here because the Republican can't win. 40% of the population is solid Republican, Reagan Republican, would vote for Trump or somebody like him in the future. 40% likes Hillary Clinton and would vote for the equivalent there. That's 80%. 20% want something different. So how do you get a third party when 40% are locked into voting R's and 40% are locked into voting D's? The 20% that you compete for, if you got an... And first of all, they don't all disagree with the, the two parties for the same reason. If they were to create a party, there would be many parties in the, the middle area. Um, and there'd be interesting collections of what they were for and against. So that's why it can't happen with a two-party system um, that where we don't do coalitions like the Europeans where you get five parties together, or Israel where they got all these different parties together and then you add them together and then you get a majority. Our coalitions are inside the Republican Party and inside the Democratic Party and the independents choose each time which way to go, and they make the ultimate uh, decision. But you'd think 60% don't want the D, but 40% are wedded to the the Republican. There isn't room for the third party because the 20% isn't 20%. It's a series of 5% or 3% that add up to 20. So you can't catch that. If you ran an independent party, the independents wouldn't vote for you. They'd be other places.
0: And I think it was surprising also as well that um, a lot of people thought independents were going to break for the Republicans. And in many cases, that uh, did not turn out to be the case.
1: That tradition in when people are mad at the present, didn't happen this time.
0: So, uh, you know, given how high inflation ranked um, in the polls and in the exit polls, uh, do you think that at the end of the day, voters just didn't blame Biden for inflation?
1: They didn't necessarily blame Biden, blame the Senate candidate and the House candidate for Biden's sins. Mm -hmm. They were about inflation, but the Republicans did not make the case that there wouldn't have been any inflation if Biden hadn't said so much much money, $2 trillion thing. But that wouldn't have, if Biden had said it, it wouldn't have happened. Every single Democrat in the House, every single Democrat in the Senate voted for that $2 trillion in make-believe spending out of of nothing that gave us the beginning of strong inflation the republicans we focused too much on biden and not enough on each democrat who is also personally responsible for the spending
0: all right david safier on zoom has a follow-up for you on this question of uh, flawed candidates he says what about fetterman in pennsylvania
1: Wow. There was a guy who you thought would go down um, because he had trouble speaking and articulating and, and listening. And his
0: positions. Really and, his, very-
1: and his very left of center positions. Uh, we ran somebody, Oz, who was from New Jersey. And in Pennsylvania, that becomes a big issue. Now, if you don't live in Pennsylvania, you go vote for the guy who'll cut your taxes. Vote for the guy who will you know, leave you alone. Um, and they're going, he's from Jersey. He's not from here. Uh, And that was part of his problem. There was also a very bloody, nasty Republican primary, and Oz was dinged insufficiently conservative by the other fellow who ran against him. Um, So, one, we ran a candidate again. Oz would have been a fine senator. He's a fine Reagan Republican, so is his wife, but he'd never run for office before. People didn't know him in that capacity, and he was from New Jersey, uh, and there, those were the, those were, I think were the, the challenges for a candidate. I would have been very happy if he'd been elected senator.
0: Got it. Um, all right. Well, you know, uh, do you think that there's any real chance of um, any significant Republican reforms, uh, like the IRS Accountability Act, which you've proposed, uh, just given? How, how would that possibly pass the Senate and, sure. and like needing a veto-proof majority?
1: The way we can get some reforms, don't give $80 billion to the IRS to hire 87,000 agents to bother people. You do that by having hearings and asking the IRS. They destroyed the IRS um, some 30 million tax return paperwork. Um, it'd be 2 million, I'm sorry, that those would be two miles high if you just stack them on top of each other. The IRS won't tell Congress um, how they were destroyed. Were they burned? Were they shredded? I mean, it's a lot of people standing in front of shredders, uh, two miles high of the material, uh, or why they did it, or who decided to do it. Asked that last one, they said, Well, it would be embarrassing. It would make us look bad to tell you how and why we decided. I would have loved to have had that excuse, you know, when my father asked what happened to the broken window? Well, it's not in my interest to tell you that because it would be embarrassing. So I won't tell you what happened. Uh, I believe that with good hearings and subpoenaing power to go after the IRS and in some cases the FBI and some of these other departments, then the American people will be sufficiently outraged so that you will see Democrats vote to restrict the IRS money to restrict IRS power, to make the FBI a little more transparent and how they do some of the things that they've done uh, over time. Uh, But that's why you have to have the hearings. You can't stand up and go, I know this happened, but I have hearings to, to tell me what I already think I know. You need to go in and say, let's look at what's going on, explain it to the American people, let everybody see it and discover it for themselves. And then you will see Democrats, as happened under Clinton, Democrats voted with Republicans to reform a problematic IRS back then.
0: It looks like we lost a uh, Jag again, but hopefully we'll get her back soon. I'll just continue with a question kind of along a similar note to this. I'm just
1: glad this isn't my fault.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this comes from Katerina Burgess who says, Do you think Republican House majority helps to put the nail into the coffin regarding Biden's student loan debt forgiveness?
1: Well, the the courts seem to be the ones that say um, this can't be done. Certainly, a Republican House would not, you might, you'd be able to do it if you had the House and the Senate vote. We're going to spend all this money and bail out people who took loans. And make everybody else pay for them. Okay, the whole idea was to try and make it look like nobody was going to pay for them. But obviously, if you cancel a debt, um, you don't cancel it. You move it onto the backs of the American people, and then the 14 percent of the population that would benefit get bailed out and money given to them from the others. Uh, so, the courts have said the president can't hand government property, a loan, a debt to somebody for without congressional authority. They can't spend money. They can't hand out uh, property, value. Um, So it does look as though the president did that in order to get votes, and now he doesn't need it anymore. So uh, at some point, the courts will say, okay, we really, really mean it. Stop this now.
0: All right. Well, uh, Grover Norquist is the most cheerful person that I know. He is the eternal optimist. So um, maybe you can give us uh, a bit of your take on some of the the bright spots, reasons for for optimism. Um, I think that we won some uh, really strong tax reform in Arizona, which approved a 60 percent threshold on tax increases, so um, give us some good news.
1: Sure, in the 50 states, there were states with Republican control of legislatures, which is about 30, uh, and with Republican governors, which is about 23 or so. uh, What you see there is a movement towards single rate taxes, not graduated or progressive taxes. Four, five states now, five states in the last two years have voted to go to a single rate tax. 10 states are moving to go to zero. Um, Kentucky has voted ten, next 10 years are going to phase out their income tax. North Carolina is phasing their tax out. New Hampshire will have it completely phased out in four years. Uh, 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 Mississippi is phasing theirs out, as is Louisiana. Um, and then there are a series of other states where the governor and the legislature says we, we, as soon as we get to a single rate tax, Iowa, Arizona, um, And uh, South Carolina has announced they're going to a single rate tax and then to zero. And the Democrat running for governor, he lost. He said, me too, me too. I'm for a a, uh, going to zero as well. Now, I think he was probably lying, but it's good news when your opponent agrees with you on what he's going to, maybe he's tipping, but he thinks that the voters really do want this. So we have about 10 states that in the next 15 years We'll be at zero income tax, so we'll go from eight states with no income tax to twenty-three, and frankly, I think another four will begin this process this coming year on twenty-three.
0: And for twenty-three, um, when you look forward to the priorities for Americans for tax reform, what is on your agenda for next year?
1: Um, taking away the eighty billion dollars that the IRS intends to spend. Um, making as much of the Republican Trump tax cuts permanent as we can. We got most of it made permanent under Obama. We now have the same fight with Biden and and move forward on that. Uh, Also at the state level, education savings accounts, school choice is really going gangbusters. Arizona has passed it for everyone. Some have done it for lower income people. Some have done it for handicapped or challenged kids. Uh, Arizona... uh, Arizona did it for every single person. That's the new gold standard for uh, school choice. And that will help break up the government monopoly uh, in state after state. Number of states have have made similar moves uh, and others intend to follow Arizona's model.
0: Well, that is a good note of optimism to end on, Grover. We're so very grateful for all of your indefatigable work. Uh, Grover and I have known each other for over 30 years and I'm looking forward to the decades to come. Uh, So Grover, thank you so much. And thanks for joining us today.
1: Jennifer, thanks for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And thanks to all of you who joined us. Thanks for your patience with some of our technical issues today. And thanks, of course, for all of your great questions. Uh, stay tuned on the Allen Society. If you want to continue this conversation in 15 minutes, we're going to be back on Clubhouse with our senior scholar, Professor Richard Salzman, we're going to be talking about the most common smears against self-interest. And um, of course, as always, if you enjoy the work of the Atlas Society, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to support our work. Don't be somebody who just... uh, consumes with, without uh, supporting and, and, and helping us do what we do. Uh, we're going to take a break uh, on next week, which is Thanksgiving, and then we will be back on November 30th when author Eric Kaufman will talk to us about his book, White Shift. So hope to see you on Clubhouse and uh, see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everyone.